Welcome to The Nix, where we talk about pop culture until we can't stand it anymore, and we nix it. I'm Fanny Darling. And I'm Justin Hartung. As always, a quick warning that there might be spoilers for anything we talk about on this podcast, but we'll do our best to let you know they're coming. This episode, we've got a review of Enola Holmes, a new Netflix movie about the younger sister of Sherlock Holmes, played by Stranger Things' Millie Bobby Brown. We like to call this movie the Holmes Family Jawline Jamboree. Okay, we're going to start off at the top with a plea to rate and review us on Apple Podcast app, Podchaser, Podbean, Stitcher, CastBox, any place you can find a podcast, you can rate and review us. It's going to help people find us. You can't rate and review us on Amazon, though. So just Just follow us there. Do rate and review. Yeah, Amazon should do that. Catch up with the times, Jeff. (laughs) All right, so we're going to talk first about our main topic, which was Enola Holmes. Justin, what you got to say? Uh, So this is, uh, as I said up top, as you said up top, Millie Bobby Brown starring in and co-producing this uh, adaptation of the first book of a teen series. Had you heard of this series ever? Yeah. I had not. This is my first time hearing about this. Uh, It is focused on the younger sister of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, It was intended originally for theatrical release, but it ended up on Netflix because, you know, COVID, everything is. Um, It also stars in a kind of strange casting decision, Henry Cavill, Superman as Sherlock, and Elena Bottom Carter as Elona's, wow, Elona? Enola. That's going to trip me up all day. Um, Enola's missing mother. Um, What did you think of Enola Holmes? I think that if we sat and watched this with young Sherlock Holmes, that that would be a really fun uh, double feature. (laughs) Um, It has a very similar sweet feel, but uh, with some important themes, like what the, what she's investigating is serious and they don't, shy away from it and i like that i thought this was a quite charming little film um i would watch the next one as they have completely set this up for the sequels and i thought everybody acted their parts well i i actually liked cavill i thought he was fine i didn't particularly like sam claffin's uh mustache kind of freaked me out uh, <laughs> now, who is he where do i know him he plays um he's in uh, mycroft but who's yeah. who's he he is um, Finnick O'Dare from the Hunger Games series. Ah, okay. I knew he looked familiar. Yeah, he was also in that thing with the with Daenerys about, like, he's in a wheelchair, but then he wants to die, and everybody got really mad because it was super ableist and awful. Mm. I don't remember what the name of it was. Uh, he's in that, too. Mm. Um, and I think he was in the, the Storm like on a boat in a storm movie with Shailene Woodley when she was having her moment. He's just pretty. I and, mean, well, sort he's of. He's more pretty with, yeah, he's prettier without the mustache. Yeah. He's, he's got pretty the when he's family jawline. So he's yes, ready he does. <laughs> um, but I liked it. I, will I remember it in five years? probably certain lines and certain feelings and then i'll go back and i'll watch it with young sherlock holmes just like i do with that movie what'd you think 
You know, I had no expectations for this movie. It sounded <laughs> wretched to me. Um, I mean, if you just like read the description to me, I would have been like, no, definitely not for me. Um, I Millie Bobby Brown seemed fine as 11. I have mixed feelings about Stranger Things, so maybe that was already like coloring my perception. She certainly had nothing to do in the Godzilla movie. So I just was kind of like, oh, is she going to be 15 minutes up? Like what? She's so charming, so yes, fantastic. I loved her in this movie. I just found her completely fun and breaking the fourth wall, which apparently she kind of, I was reading, she had some say in really wanting to do that oh, um, that's... As, as a co-producer. And it works so well. She's just, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed watching her. Uh, Knowing that she said that, now I'm sort of wondering, because it gave me a very Fleabag feel. Totally. In a sweet way. And yep. I wonder if she like really liked Fleabag and had some and wanted to try and do something similar. I um, hadn't even made that connection, but yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't want to imitate Fleabag. Um, no. Maybe fewer sex jokes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, you know, there's sometimes, okay, first of all, I was worried this was going to be just like a bad American Hollywood teen movie and just junky and stupid and, you know, overly focused on bad kind of action set pieces and, you know, ridiculous romance that you don't care about. And it's British, but it's instead, so it doesn't do all of that, but it's also right. just British enough. Like, it doesn't also get sort of bogged down. It's got this sort of, when people talk about kind of global cinema um, and sort of that new sort of bland, like, it works everywhere in the globe. This is a good example of that. It's not going to win any awards, but it's a really pleasant kind of piece of yeah. global cinema. Um, and it's sweet and bouncy but also smart yeah and and she was she was so good and funny and winning i and the 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 romance was perfect in its smallness i kind of bought the romance and i oh i bought it a lot that's what i mean yeah and i like the fact that sorry spoilers for null Holmes coming up um one uh jawline uh, Hound of Baskerville to Jawlines. Jawlines. <laughs> I can't think. I'm not enough of a Sherlock Holmes person. To think Cutting Johnson. Um, <laughs> which I think, okay, that's another thing we got to talk about is a lot of people that I sort of was reading reactions were mad that the mysteries weren't kind of Sherlock Holmes level. Like it was a lot of just sort of like, you know, code solving and, but you know, it, I don't sometimes mysteries like that to me, I don't enjoy because it loses track of the character. And this right. I think was kind of like, especially for the audience that it was trying to reach. I think it did a great job of just enough mystery. I do hope if they make another one, the mysteries get a little more intricate. And I, complex. I tire of the Sherlock Holmes as practically a superhero, um, like brain level. Yes, he is supposed to be incredibly deductive. He is supposed to be incredibly intelligent, but he's not supposed to be all seeing and all knowing. And right. so I liked this idea of the things that her mother taught her and what and the the skills that she had honed thus far was cipher breaking and code breaking and you know right chess and and those were the skills that she really used and they laid it out now 
they are laying the groundwork for her to be the ward of Sherlock Holmes. And I'm sure he will teach her other things. Um, and also she was supposed to be 16 and this is her first case. So right, I, right. I, I quibble with that. Um, you know, that. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was perfect for, for what it was. And Absolutely. also I think there's something kind of subversive in a gentle way about her really being her mother's daughter and her mother yep. using sort of, um, you know, intrigue and sort of, you know, strategy and a little bit of intuition to like, you know, fight for women's rights to vote. Like there's something right. sweet about what you do with your kind of strategy brain in a way that is Absolutely. almost like reacting against Sherlock Holmes, but not in a obvious or like angry, silly way. It was very just sort of like, here's another kind of intelligence. And it also involves being kind of emotional and having stakes in what, in what you're working on. Yeah. Yep. Um, and back to the romance quickly. I, when I say small, I mean that they didn't make it insta love. They didn't make it. This is certainly true love. Instead, these characters really got to know each other and bond through getting to know each other. I, I loved that the, the closest they came to any sort of kiss or anything was that wonderful hand touch at the end uh, where that, that scene made, was so good. Was so good with it where it's like, this is goodbye, but it confirmed for both of them. We don't, this isn't the end. Right. And, and also class uh, is getting in the way of their, oh. you know, there's like some stuff in there that was, but was, yeah, I didn't expect it in a movie like this. Oh, I found it really, really sweet. And I, you know, I like the empowerment of the, the female role. Um, and to tell 15 and 16 year olds that when they watch this, that you can, you know, this is what my mother made me for. <laughs> right. And this is what she empowered me to do, which is to stand up for myself and my sisters and the good in the world. And I thought I really, really enjoyed it. I, I did. Also, I really liked seeing <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter not play like an eye twitchy a kind of, yeah. she was just so regular and maternal and wonderful. And you were also yes. just like, oh, I want to see more of this relationship. But I also loved yeah. that it was kind of like, we can't do this right now. We got to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I that bittersweetness of, I, I didn't leave you because I don't love you. I left because I love you and I want to make this better for you. And I know that I have raised you strong enough and given you the skills that you can, you're going to be okay. I've left you with your one brother who has lots of money. So, and your other brother that now sees your mind and, and I will be back. We will figure this out. Um, and and I love you. And I love that what she needed was a hug from her mom, which again, right totally. now really means something. Um I yeah, I I loved the line when Sherlock is telling her the things he remembers about her, about, you know, uh that she had that little pine cone that she called Dash. Uh and right. uh, that she that. wouldn't keep keep her britches on and she always ran around bare bottom and she leans down out of the tree and goes great. Now forget everything. <laughs> She's like, Oh, those are your only memories. I hate them. You know? And that was <laughs> right. A, totally. I love that. It was, it was a great, you know, sibling interaction. Um, 
So I, Fiona Shaw, of course, also, is always I, great. Oh, so good. I also want to shout out uh, Susie Wakoma um, from Chewing Gum and Crazy Head as the yes, very bit Crazy part. Head! The, yeah, uh, she's so good. I'm so happy she's still getting fun, kind of interesting stuff. Um, I want her to do more. She needs a, her own show. Um, totally. She's so, so good. Yeah. Do you have a uh, Do you have a ranking? Our new ranking system? Should we run through our new ranking system? Yes, run through them. It is the Knicks. Uh, nope. Not for me. Uh, we came up with a new one, I think, last week. Necessary viewing. Kind of in right? the middle, but we can't really say it was uh, nice, which is the next <laughs> one. Or incredible. Still working on that one, but for now it's okay, incredible. I'm- I know I have to choose and that I have to land on one. I can't go in the middle. That's my rule and your rule. And so I guess I have to give it a nice because it's not forever going to be in my head. And it's, I'm not going to go out in the streets and scream about it, but very, very worth your time. So nice. Like you? Nice with the semester yeah. ends up front. Um, <laughs> nice, yeah. Because I, I really would have been like not for me, but it, it was nice, and I that means a lot to me. Especially, I don't know, just right now, really with everything going on, it really so was good. something that I needed that I didn't know I needed. Yeah, exactly. It yeah. was medicine you didn't, you weren't expecting to have. I think the way that a lot of people felt about Bill and Ted, I this was kind of my version of that. Um, Perfect. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you have. I have two versions yeah, you of get it, two but of I'm them. glad Let's... that you got something. <laughs> exactly. All right. Should we move into uh, our pop culture uh, potpourri? <laughs> we did what you saw there. Yeah, we did what you saw there. <laughs> uh, let's start with things we both saw. Okay. Um, we'll do our usual Lovecraft Country uh, check-in. How are you doing with the show? I this. I think this show might be a masterpiece. I, oh my God, I love this show so much. My friend Allie and I, you know Allie, our friend Allie and I have sat at lunch in the abandoned school and we talked for three lunch periods about Sunday night's episode and we were still pulling layers off of layers and oh what about this and then that means this and processing trauma and did you know that Bobo was Emmett Till I didn't but my husband did and I was mad that I hadn't caught it because it was I went back and looked up the scenes and that was amazing and I I cannot say enough good things about this show. I love it, love it, love it so much. I loved this episode, even though it scared the poop out of me. <laughs> it was the first one where I was like, yeah, oh, I'm going to have some nightmares. it was definitely one of the better ones. Totally agree. Those twins, yeah. I was, I'm going to have, it was light out. And both Parker and I were like, oh, no, oh, no, no. <laughs> no, I don't like those things. I do not and want them. feeling of running... Running through a crowd and you're the only person that can see them. Like that's, it's much scarier when you're in public and something horrible is happening. Um, And I thought I did a great job of that. Yeah. And I thought there was a nice, you could see the marriage of Misha Collins and Jordan Peele in specifically in those characters and how they moved and their weird, creepy smiles. And I, they, you could see their, their, the two sensibilities of them really coming together there. And I thought it was the first time that it was like, it rang the bell of 
that particular union of creators. I loved it. Yeah. And so that's a good sort of segue into Lovecraft Country Radio, which you've talked about in the past. It's the official podcast for the show. Uh, It is hosted by Ashley C. Ford and one of the writers from the show, Shannon Houston. You were so right. This is so good. I love this podcast, uh, partly because I think it it really explains a lot of that kind of overstuffed stuff that I don't understand, because I got to admit, I watch this show a little bit, uh, you know, between my fingers and while looking at my phone, because I get too scared by the gross out stuff, because I'm a wimp. Um, But it also, I think, really frames a lot of kind of what the show is talking about in a modern context. And man, they're so good, the two of them. So thank you for recommending that show, the podcast. I love it. I look forward to this podcast almost as much as I look forward to watching this show. Um, and as I watch the show, I get so excited at certain times to think, what are they going to say about this? And what insight is Shannon going to talk about that maybe she disagreed with somebody in the writer's room or she got frustrated with, with Misha Collins or she thought this was her favorite scene. And she was also the main writer on last week's episode about Hippolyta that I loved so much. And that was her first one where she got the main writing credit and she was very proud. And that was awesome. And I love that they are so well thought out and they present such beautiful thoughts and recommend such good supplemental reading. But I think what I love most about this podcast is listening to their unabashed and unapologetic pride and, and their anger, their righteous anger about being black women in America and raising black children and walking around in their skin. And I love that this is a show that might make some people uncomfortable and that they don't care. And that that says something that if it makes you uncomfortable, we're not sorry. And maybe you should investigate why it makes you uncomfortable. Why, if you would feel differently, if Dee's character when she spits on the cop and and gets to stand up for herself because Montrose told her you take, you, you make them work for it. If when they, when they come for you, not if, and she takes her power. And if that had been a boy character or not a character of color, I think all audiences would have been like, right on kid, you stood up to the oppressor. And since it wasn't, since it was D, who is a, a young girl and also a, you know, a black girl. And I think that it made people more uncomfortable than it should have. And I, I practically jumped off my couch when that happened. And ta- listening to Ashley C. Ford and Shannon Houston talk about that scene and this whole episode... I was so glad to hear it, even though it wasn't a conversation that I would have gotten to be included in if I sat at the table. I would have I I wouldn't have had my feelings brought into it. And I'm glad because I want to hear this and we all need to listen to everyone's voices and everyone's story. And our, we have taught for years false history about our country, and our country is 
built on this trauma and this pain of a whole population and they get to tell their stories and they get to say how they feel about that. And we get to be uncomfortable. You I know? really liked when they were talking about um, the fact that there was a discussion in the writer's room about whether or not there was, you know, when she throws the rocks at the little girls, whether those right. girls should be black or white. Right. And they ended up talking about that. Like, I think, I can't remember who it was. I think it might've been Shannon Houston described it as, no, maybe it was actually for the, the tyranny of community, which I yep. thought was so smart and just kind of, yes. you know, made me think a little bit about what we were talking about, about with boys in the band is when you're uh, basically when somebody oppresses you, you're more likely to turn it on your community and your, and yourself right. rather than the real sort of target or the real enemy. And that was a realistic reaction. It was just, I don't know. I thought that was fascinating. So. Oh yeah. That's just, that's what I talk about when I talk about how I no longer want the media and society to tell me how I feel about other women. And I'm not going to let them tell me, Oh, judge her for how she's dressing anymore. This is that same right. larger look at who's telling you to feel and what you're feeling and to fight who you're fighting. And Definitely. it's, it's, it's what I learned from a bug's life. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much they that want swerve. <laughs> they want us to turn on each other. If they know if we look around and see how many ants there are that we can take down the grasshoppers and so they don't want us to work together. They don't want us to listen to each other and process our own trauma and hold hands and fight back. And we need to hold hands and fight back. That's all. Lovecraft Country Radio podcast listen to it it's awesome so good um, also no I, no more body bursting I, like we get it just no more body bursting please i cannot watch that it's so gross it's now, like did, did that actor really just get covered in like meat pies like i don't know it's so gross i can't watch it this week's even in the scene it was less in a weird way Oh, no. It's I know horrible. it's still terrible. I'm not saying it's not still gory, <laughs> but it's I noticed that even in the scene they pulled back a little cuz they're like we got we got it across. So, I'm assuming we're not going to see a lot more of that. I find that whole storyline fascinating and so many layers with what it means to Ruby, what it means to Christina. I just, I, I'm sorry that, that that has the body bursting in it, but I just, the more it goes on, the smarter I find it. And I love that they are, that they have incorporated, uh, you know, real uh, ideas that, that people may not have known about. Um, I mean, now people know about Tulsa. It was amazing how many people didn't. And then, you know, Watchmen shone a, shone a light on that. And sundown towns, even Misha Collins didn't know about those. But to turn around and Emmett Till, I think more people probably know about. But I love that they are pulling in all of these stories and these real uncomfortable lines like, what's that smell? And yeah, totally. we need to be uncomfortable sometimes, you guys, or we're not going to yeah. make it better. Yeah. And Totally. Anyway, it's great. It's great. I love the show, the radio. Uh, I want to see where show. it's going to go. Um, yep. Yeah. 
A couple more episodes left, right? Just two, I think. <laughs> two more so. episodes, and yeah. I'm putting an on-air call out, and I already asked her, and Allie would love to come on after the uh, finale and talk about her thoughts, too. And she's very smart. <laughs> Great. Perfect. Um, another yep. HBO show, We Are Who We Are, that, another show that you talked about a few weeks ago um, that I finally caught up on a bit. Uh, this is Luca Guaranino, uh, Call Me By Your Name. Um, I didn't even have that in the notes and I remembered it. I think I got it right. Uh, it stars Jack Dylan Grazier, who is apparently the kid that was in Shazam, which I totally for- forgot that it was yep. him. Um, also... Jordan, maybe an apologies if you said this a few weeks ago. I don't remember. Jordan Christine, how do you say that name? It's, it's almost looks like an Irish name, but I'm Simone, I Simone. think. Um, yeah, that's Kid Cuddy, the rapper, Chloe 70. This is a crazy good cast. Uh, as Fanny talked about, it is just to recontextualize it, it is a bunch of kids, teenagers on a um, army base in Italy. I, is it near Venice? Are they in Venice? No, there's just like lots of pretty bridges and canals everywhere. Dude, you're the geography (laughs) travel guy. I know Italy. Italy's a boot. That's what I know. We talk a lot about the canals, but I don't know. Anyways, it's a, yeah, it's some mysterious army base in 2016 in Italy. It is a very uh, diverse army base, as army bases probably are. Um, (laughs) This show, I don't know what to make of it. It is so strange. I am, how far are you? I'm three episodes in. We've both watched three. I haven't watched this week okay. yet. Um, I should have gone back and listened to what you said about it initially. I, first of all, I want to say I think the acting is phenomenal across the board. Uh, Jack Dylan Grazier is great. I mean, he is sort of doing a little bit of a um, Timothy Chalamet, which as you pointed out I, in the notes here. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, and I well because I said that I said I didn't realize how much they had like would look alike. I wouldn't have figured that out. And I do think that some of that is Guadagnino's uh, like the way he, his aesthetic. Uh, But apparently Jack Dylan Grazier played the younger version of Timothy Chalamet's character in beautiful boy, which I did not see because I don't need to watch. I don't need to see Steve Carell do capital S serious capital a acting. I'm done. But (laughs) I feel like but, COVID maybe washed that away, hopefully. Yes, he um. is. <laughs> Grazier is so good. And I don't think he's, he's doing really a Chalamet impersonation so much as this is a Guadagnino aest- uh, aesthetic, honestly. I really don't. Right. So, okay. So, uh, acting is great. It's got that Guadagnino mm-hmm beautiful like it looks so good he's so good at filming there's a scene at this parade that happens every year where he moves Mm. the camera through the crowd it's just like he knows how to build like he's a master he's a master filmmaker um yep i'm gonna get into my weirdness and i don't this is weirdness that i'm mostly like where is this going um okay so i don't at this point understand why chloe 70 and it's funny because I was watching this a little bit with Dave and he remarked right away, like, Oh, this reminds me of like kids, like Larry Clark. There's a slightly uh-huh. like pervy kids gone wild thing about it. Um, and it's funny cause Chloe 70 was in that and she's and playing the mother. Um, quick question. And, Do you know yeah. how old these kids are supposed to be? 16. 14. I don't know. 
14? They're okay. supposed to be 14. Even and Guadagnino has said that, which okay. I get what you're saying. So that's yeah. why I said that now, because yes, there is a sort of like a voyeuristic, I don't know how I feel about this investigative bit. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that he's sort of done this again like he's very he's really interested in youthful explorations of sexuality which fine we we are very prudish as a country and we should yep sort of talk about that more and and confront that mm-hmm. but this may be a little uncomfortable at times also chloe sevigny i don't know what's going on with her character like why is she like borderline sort of sexually abusive towards her son I, I don't know what's happening there. I don't think it's so much a sexual abuse as it is sexual competitiveness. And I see this. I, this it's is really sort of weird. A, and I don't, it is super weird. And uh, apologies to all of the people out there, myself included, who are mothers of sons. But there is a very small slice of mothers who are super into the fact that they have a son and are like, my son's the most beautiful son and my son this, and they have a, it's not sexual, but it is an uncomfortable relationship with the idea that they have a son and their son is beautiful and a sexual being and the best son. It's much like this girl dad thing that's going around, only it often has an, a slightly odd and uncomfortable bent to it. Um, I I don't know what's I, happening. Like I'm just. I have like, seen it. I think that she has horribly like he's physically abusive towards her she is like she was physically abusive to him. him yep and she i mean that first scene where you start to realize that their relationship is complicated is uncomfortable and i i gotta say i do believe it's very real and i think that the layers will be uncovered i think that she has some repressed repressive issues that she may not be happy in her relationship. And I think that they, that this will be revealed more. I find it fascinating and really uncomfortable. And the idea that she's a sexual rival at the end of the, the the third episode is it's uncomfortable, but I, I don't, I don't find it unrealistic, unfortunately. Yeah. And that said, I think the thing that's sort of interesting about the show, and I do want to give it props for this, is that, you know, Jack Dylan Grager's character and Jordan Christine Simone are like their friendship feels pure and sweet. And it is about people navigating kind of sexuality and identity in a very pure way. Like, so it's it's this very striking counterpoint. Where she feels like he gave me a lifeboat. He's, I get to ask the questions that I didn't know who else I could ask of and that he's doesn't laugh at her. Instead, he's like, yes, come along. Let's, let's talk about gender. Let's talk about the fact that it's not binary. Let's, and strangely, I found it very interesting that he gave, that, that he is such a lifeboat for her and the fact that he, that they soiled the father's lifeboat 
Right. I, I don't think that was an accident. I was like, right. and the dad was so mad about it because he was used to being his daughter's lifeboat. And here yeah. this other person came and they soiled. I, I thought that was a really, really interesting scene yeah. and an interesting metaphor. He's clearly a big, uh, Guadagnino is clearly a big fan of Freud. There's a lot of subconscious oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I want to see where it's going. It's definitely compelling. It it reminds me of Betty in some ways. There's like some commonalities there. And I don't right. know why Betty is like, I mean, I think it's Betty doesn't necessarily sort of challenge me in the same way. It's just sort of right. a, sort of a sweet fever dream where this is like, <laughs> like the sweet fever dream curdling. There um, is so much here. And a yeah. lot of times this would have made me feel dumb. But either I'm growing up or I just really get Guadagnino. <laughs> but right. instead, I really enjoy trying to investigate. Or maybe I've been listening to a lot of Lovecraft Country Radio, and it has taught me how to investigate this stuff more and deal with my discomfort and try and see what's being said here. And I love that it is investigating gender to this point. Um and to the amount that it is, and so openly. And I just find it so interesting, and the characters are so beautiful. I I really like this show. I, I really do. Great uh, music choices, too, as a music nerd. I'm loving just the <laughs> diversity of, of music in it. It's cool. I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I really like uh, Alice Braga as the, the sort of <sighs> wife of... Um, Toy 70s character. Oh, she's, she's great. So good. The scenes yeah. with her and the other mom. Uh, the mm. yeah, and really good. Where they both see how the other one is being neglected or abused, and right. that it's sparking their friendship. Oh, so good. They're yeah, both so good. <laughs> he's got a really great way of upending ideas of sort of main protagonists and sort of what that means, but they don't end up being like ensemble films or TV but shows. They're sort of like, at all. No, there's sort of these counterpoints running through them that in the same way that like, remember the, the girlfriend and call me by your name, who's sort of seemed like kind of a chump because she didn't realize that yes. her, her boyfriend was gay, but then it sort of pulls the rug out from under you in that way. And I think there's some of that happening. Here, she did. It's yeah. definitely intriguing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. and I do love that the that those two kids are definitely the main character characters, but all of the other it's all important, but it's all important yeah. for what it means in the bigger picture and they are definitely not the protagonists, but their right. stories are still important. Oh, so it's kind of wild really that HBO financed this. It's like, this is right? a crazy eight hour art house movie that like somehow HBO is like, sure, go for it. Um, it's and I was crazy. so happy when I went and investigated that he directs them all. Cause I was like, Oh, he directed the first one and he's one of the creators. And then I kept click. Okay. He, he directs all eight of them. Okay. <laughs> wow. Cool. Yeah. Um, all right, some other quick pop culture I did. I saw a few weeks ago, I just forgot to talk about it, the much-discussed, actually, uh, sort of 
slightly thematically similar cuties uh, on Netflix, which uh, the alt-right religious right made a huge fuss over um, accusing it of being, you know, the devil incarnate ready to steal the soul of all your children um, with its scantily clad uh, young protagonists. This is not at all what uh, the movie is about. It is a very thoughtful, sweet movie about uh, a young woman that, uh, is an immigrant in France and basically is trying to kind of balance a life between her, you know, sort of traditional Muslim background and her new kind of crazy friends who are in a singing, dancing competition and they have their crew and they take kind of, you know, risque photos on Instagram and push boundaries. This is very much in some ways a sort of moralistic film. It's almost like an opposite thing where it's really about how traumatized this kid is trying to sort of straddle these two worlds. It's very well done. It's very sweet. I agree. Netflix probably fucked up the marketing pretty badly because I did see that poster and it's like, wow, this is not at all what this movie is. Um, it's really good. I If I was going to do our rating, I would give it a nice. It is definitely <laughs> worth watching. Cool. Um, I watched Scare Me on Shudder. Uh, this is a kind of low-key, slow-burn thriller-slash-horror movie. It stars Aya Cash and John Rubin, who I did not know anything about, but they are apparently from that show, You're the Worst. Um, and it was, I think, directed and written by John Rubin. Uh, I went to high school with the creator of that show and did theater. Oh, are you kidding? Oh, that's nope. so funny. <laughs> um, I've never seen that, and I've, I read some things saying this movie was sort of in line with that. And it makes me a little intrigued now because I really, really, really liked the first half of this movie. <laughs> it is a great setup that will get you very excited. Um, but it's, it doesn't quite land the sick landing. It is basically a very successful writer and a kind of wannabe Hollywood writer guy uh, meet up out in the woods and they're both running cabins in this sort of, you know, getaway wooded area. And he's very impressed slash intimidated that she is a very successful kind of horror writer. And the power goes out and they decide to tell each other scary stories uh, to Ooh. entertain each other. Um, and there's no, this the fun thing about this movie is there's no special effects, uh, very few special effects. It's really like about sort of these people acting out these sort of scary stories and scaring each other. And it progresses to a point where things start to come out and sort of, you know, secrets about them and sort of what uh, they really kind of mean to each other. And it, it's more of almost anything like a psychological thriller about uh, a couple of fucked up people. I, I, it's worth watching. I'm going to give this, um, like a low nice, like it, a bad ending, but like nice to see a movie doing something, especially on Shutter. Nice to see a movie doing something uh, very different than, than most horror movies and really loving kind of uh, horror writing, which I think you and I are both fans of. So, uh, we'll oh, oh I'd say we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> In the cast um, today. On the complete other side, I rented like a maniac uh found footage movie called followed uh wow this movie is garbage and <laughs> there's definitely a small um audience of found footage fans on online that i sort of follow and see what they're recommending we have scraped the bottom of the barrel and, <laughs> and going and i think i even went back and reread one of the reviews and it was like since there hasn't been a found footage movie in like six months here's the one that's on <laughs> Um, it was not worth my $3. I am ashamed. I am embarrassed. I am moving <laughs> on. Um, 
<laughs> Forgive more. me, Father, for I have sinned. It really was. Uh, two more horror things. Uh, Disappearance of Devil's Rock, another thing that you've talked about in the past. Uh, Paul Tremblay, I think pretty much solidly becoming one of my favorite horror writers He's ever. Great. Um, man, this book is good. It has a weird ending. Um, it, I don't want to talk about it too much because if you like Paul Tremblay, uh, this kind of blends the sort of thriller missing person with some creepy, slightly supernatural stuff, but mostly the dread comes from just kind of personal interactions and how your everyday surroundings become just basically a reminder of how fragile your grasp, your grasp on reality is. I mean, he is just a terrifying writer. Like he can literally write about a piece of toast, you know, coming out of the toaster and you will just be like, what's going on with that toast? It's just, it's coming for me. Don't put peanut butter on it. Please don't uh, put peanut butter on it. He's, and it's so funny. We talked about this a little bit off, off mic, but it's like, he, they seem so ripe for movie adaptations because they're so cinematic in their, Mm -hmm. their moments, but they're also so disturbing when the violence comes. It's so horrific. Um, But yeah, somebody's going to figure out how to do it and it's going to be very scary for me to watch. Uh, Head full of ghosts is in, it's been, you know, optioned and is in pre-production, but it doesn't have any other, Oh wait, it does have a director and the director was weird and in a good way. Um, I'll get back to that, but nice. go on with the other stuff. Okay. Um, so wait, I forgot to do ratings. Uh, follow oh, yes. Nick's that shit. Terrible. Disappearance <laughs> of Devil's Rock. Um, I'm going to say nice right now because the ending didn't quite land it, but it is on the edge of incredible. I think Paul Tremblay is incredible, but yes. that book is a nice. Yep, yep, um, yep, yep. Uh, Pet is another book I read. Very short book. Uh, easy to read. You can tear through it in literally like a day or two. Uh, the author is a quick, I'm going to screw this up and I apologize in advance. A quick, a Um, and this author has written a few books that have, I think won some awards. There's a book called freshwater. This must be really good. And I'm curious. Um, basically they were challenged to do some sort of, uh, you know, kids, kind of horror book by somebody in their life and so they wrote this book which is about essentially a future state uh a future town in america although it feels very much sort of like our our world except that all the monsters have been banished and the monsters are mostly referred to as like racists and cops and evilest capitalist structure and it's sort of like if the good guys had won kind of what would this town look like but it's this completely black town um and so it's a sort of utopia situation um i it's i don't want to go into it too much because i really want you to read it but it sort of becomes what what happens when uh, that utopia sort of starts to crack and, and what, what comes out of it and what sacrifices were made to achieve that utopia. Uh, this book is incredible. <laughs> I love nice. it. Um, I want you to read it because I think you're going to lose your mind a okay. little bit. Um, and it's a very fast read, but I really want to read Freshwater. Um, again, that's Pet by Akweke and Maisie. Um, we'll put it in the notes uh, so you can see how it's spelled. And Pet, yeah, great book. All right. I think that's it for me because we're going a little long. What do you have for your uh, We Did What You Saw There? 
Okay, so we're going to talk about Paul Tremblay now. <laughs> <laughs> worth it. You're totally worth it. Okay, on Audible, I had some credits, and so I grabbed uh, Growing Things, which has some follow-up short stories to the Headful of Ghosts, which, by the way, I looked up Headful of Ghosts. It is Scott Cooper, who directed Crazy Heart, which I loved, with uh, which is about the aging... Uh, country and western singer who is mostly a songwriter now with jeff bridges and maggie gillianhall and colin farrell out of nowhere and so scott cooper with this he makes sort of small movies so i will go see this even though it has margaret qualley and can we stop trying to make her happen in it uh margaret qualley is andy mcdowell's daughter and she was in the fossey verdon thing and she's she's now a like a ah. ryan murphy darling and she irritates me she's not great but <laughs> scott cooper seems to make good films so i am looking forward to that anyway uh paul tremblay on audible is growing things all of the short stories have different narrators they're all good even when nothing is happening i <laughs> I cannot listen to this book before I fall asleep because it gave me creepy ass nightmares. So instead I got on my, on my Kindle and I thought I'll, I'll get a book. I read the sample from survivor song by Paul Tremblay. And it's, I got, you said not to, I didn't listen. I got to the part about the Facebook post or whatever they were calling it in the book and I went past the sample and I had nightmares and I don't, I hate zombies. You guys, I hate them. I'm not interested. Oh, it's so good. I'm only about 20% in. I, I, it's going to torment me and I'm not necessarily going to enjoy it, but wow, Tremblay, you are good. This is interesting. It, it feels very of the moment. It's terrifying and awful. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait on we, that one. Yeah. When we get to the end, I will give it a, when I get to the end, I will give it a rating. But right now I'm just nightmares and is for nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. I also watched the Comey rule on Showtime. This is Jeff Daniels. Please stop trying to make Jeff Daniels happen. He's always going to be that asshole husband that didn't care about his dying wife in uh, <laughs> terms of endearment. It's like the, I played one part and it ruined me. Like it, I will always have the taint of it on me. Uh, this is the Eric Roberts in Star Eighty Curse. He was so creepy in that that I'll never be able to see him as anything else. <laughs> anyway, Jeff Daniels as as Comey, uh, Jennifer Ely, who I love as Patrice Comey, Brendan Gleeson as Trump. Oh, weird. It's weird. It kind of works. The scary part about him is the first time that they pan up, he's in like, you know, this weird ass wig and all of this pancake makeup. And you think, oh, that's extreme. And then you realize, no, actually, it's not. That's what the man looks like. <laughs> and he <laughs> has the crazy ass hair and the weird pancake makeup. And in any other world, it would be ridiculous to show somebody looking like this. And yet, that's what the man looks like. And Gleason does a, a pretty good job. Um, Holly Hunter, who she has the best voice in the world. She plays Sally Yates. Una Chaplin is Lisa Page. T.R. Knight plays Rince Priebus, which I bet 
rents Priebus hates to have a gay man playing him, so I'm all for it. Peter Coyote is in it for two scenes, and he plays uh, Robert Mueller, who my mom's cat is named after. She's <laughs> His middle name is Swan. She is Swanee. Oh, John Boy Walton is in this show. There's two episodes what? of this. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Richard wow. Thomas in this movie. Everybody's in this movie. Stephen Pasquale, crazy, right? Yeah, it was watchable. It was, I just read you the cast. It was incredibly well acted. I don't necessarily want to root for Comey. I have complicated feelings about Comey. <laughs> um, however, I did think it was fairly told and it moved very well. It, it pared down what it was trying to say very well. Um, and it certainly pulled no punches in this, this is insanity. This administration is nuts and the things that they are trying to do are beyond the pale and the way that they are trying to do them are insane and this shouldn't be the new normal and people try are trying to, the people that have tried to stop it have been unsuccessful because it's crazy. It's, as you say, banana pants. So, <laughs> I did not enjoy watching this movie, <laughs> these two episodes. I think it's, I think it ends up being nearly four and a half hours. However, it was fascinating. It was, I don't think it was necessary and I don't think it was nice. I think at the end, I would put it down as not for me. But I'm not necessarily sorry I watched it. That, that makes sense. And there's there is one scene on where, yeah, there is one scene where Brendan Gleeson, like they, they do a freeze frame on him and he's grinning. But he's grinning as Brendan Gleeson in this like Trump makeup. And all you can see is his shining through is this man's this real man's like sweetness and goodness because he's just such a you know a, a jovial irish dude and it, it, and I, parker and i had to pause it because it was so discordant with him in the trump makeup and it was like oh look look at that sweet smile Aww. and how creepy that was to see in trump makeup so Love it's it. Worth taking a look at. I can't recommend it. I am missing pub trivia real, real bad. Because I like being right. And um, <laughs> if you too uh, like being right and are missing pub trivia, there is a podcast called The Great American Pop Culture Quiz Show, which is my dream because I want my pub quiz to be all pop culture. I would like it if it was even like who's sleeping with who because I know that weird shit. That's like the shit that for some reason lives in my brain. And the first uh, season finale drops on Monday. Uh, they do, they've done, I think, four rounds. Like there's three players. They've done four rounds to get to the semifinals and then they're going to have the last three players on Monday. They have really gone out of their way to think up fun categories and to break it down into 
interesting rounds. Like you have your first round, uh, which is relatively easy. And then the second round slightly harder. And then there's like a, a quick, quick fire end round where you pick one category. You don't necessarily know what it's going to be about. And they fire uh, questions at you. I really like this show. It's, it's well-prepared. The questions are often funny. And uh, if you're missing trivia or you just want to feel smart or you want to learn some stuff about pop culture, I do, I do highly recommend the great American pop culture quiz show. Parker and I rewatch anybody famous or no, no, it's um, the only somewhat well-known person. And this is only if you're like a pop, like a podcast pop culture person, or if you were really into recaps back in the day, uh, the television without pity and extra hot, great producer. Uh, and one of the founders is David T. Cole. And this is he and uh, somebody named Taylor Cole, who is apparently not his brother. I was, I, <laughs> I didn't know that. And uh, a man named that they call Dan Casino, who often writes the uh, games for extra hot great. They always have a game on extra hot great. So nice. the three of them got together and made this podcast. So no, it's not anybody famous, but very, these are people yeah. that, you know, have a game night, you know, right, <laughs> and it right. shows totally nice. Parker and I were looking for something to watch in the background. The other night, HBO has all of their October spooky offerings. And we stumbled upon, upon the uh, American werewolf in London, which he had never seen. So I put that on and we 75% paid attention to it. This is still a fun movie. I still really enjoy uh, Griffin Dunn's reading of, have you ever talked to a a corpse? It's boring. That's (laughs) right. Oh my God. Um, And the little boy who tells his mom, his mom, mommy, a naked American man just stole my balloons. So good. (laughs) <laughs> the little kid in the hospital that tells the nurse constantly, no, no, to everything she says. And I had forgotten that when I say that to the kids at school, it's because of American Werewolf in London. The effects are still impressive if you think about when they were made, but they're a little silly. <laughs> it's still a fun movie. Are they remaking this? I think they are. I think and I they did something coming. I mean, they were yeah, they everything. did. American Werewolf in Paris about 10 years after this one that was, I think it had Julie Delpy in it and it was terrible. Um, This is still fun. (laughs) And uh, it's, it's a fun revisit and a a good, well-written, quick, funny horror movie. And I mean, at the time I, I remember it being somewhat unusual in that it was a funny horror movie and still scary. Uh, I rewatched with with Mitch and Layla. I rewatched uh, "Call Me by Your Name" because uh, of "We Are Who We Are," which Layla really loved. And I said, "Well, let's let's see some Timothy Chalamet. Let's do some Guadagnino. Let's do "Call Me by Your Name." I had only seen the movie when it wrecked me when you and I saw it together. You can go back and listen to that episode. I think it's two years old at this point. It's around yeah, New Year's Eve. Years ago, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, still a really beautiful movie. Still wrecked me in certain scenes. What I 
saw in the rewatch is how much this isn't the story of a couple, how this is really Elio's story and the story of the, the gift that his parents gave him of their support and their love and their acceptance of, we know who you are and you're our son and we love you and we're going to let you be who you are. And even though he goes through, they know that they are leading him to heartbreak. (laughs) It's still worth it for the joy. Um, At the end of the movie, Layla turned on me and said, you, I distinctly remember you telling me that he doesn't get eaten by eels at this time, which is (laughs) our shorthand for it's going to be okay. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And I said, but he didn't get eaten by eels because he, didn't have to go home and have a family that didn't accept him. And he didn't have to marry a woman who he didn't love and pine for a lover in, in Italy. So he didn't get eaten by eels and it hurts, but he gets the better life and he gets the family that loves him and he gets to go on and be, you know, and show society, this is who I love. And that is worth so much. He might be slowly being eaten from the inside by the (laughs) eel called love. It is possible. (laughs) Uh, I also got to the end of Wilderness of Doubt, which was the uh, uh, documentary about Jeffrey McDonald. This is not for me, you guys. It's not that interesting. They didn't convince me he didn't do it. I don't care. It's on Hulu. If you want to watch it, not for me. It's not as far as a Nick's because it was fine, but right, not for right. me. Nice. <laughs> I finished it. I gave it a grade. All right. We've been given grades. You can grade us. Where can they do that? They can do it on Facebook. Um, we are at the next podcast. I have not been good about posting, but I swear I'm going to do it. Um, you can email us, motionnix at Gmail. There's an old fashioned way to tell us where we're incredible um you can also talk to us on twitter at the next podcast um you can talk to me at justin hardtug on twitter and you can talk to fanny at at fanny v darling surprise (laughs) uh we will talk to you next episode good night let's do it good night